A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The New Statesman. Welcome to the New Statesman podcast. I'm senior editor Alona Ferber. On Sunday, the 14th of January, I attended the Jewish Labour Movement Conference in Northwest London. Each year, the JLM One Day Conference presents a snapshot of the Labour Party and the Jewish community at that particular moment. In an election year, the conference gathered prominent Labour politicians and influential Jewish voices, including Sadiq Khan, Keir Starmer, Margaret Hodge, and Jonathan Friedland. In the welcome address, the organisers wrote, As progressive Jews, we feel safe, secure and confident about our place in the Labour Party. Yet this is happening against a backdrop of rising anti-Semitism here and the crisis following Hamas's horrific terrorist attack on October 7th. Our conference will discuss all this and more. The ongoing war between Israel and Hamas has now passed the 100-day mark. That afternoon at the conference, which happened to take place on the 100th day of the Israel-Gaza war, I spoke with Susan Nyman, the American moral philosopher, about the splits this war has caused on the left and the tensions she sees between tribalist currents on the left and universalist principles, which she believes are the values of a true left. Susan Nyman is director of the Einstein Forum in Potsdam, Germany. She grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and also holds Israeli citizenship. Susan started by reading an excerpt from an essay she wrote for the New Statesman in November, entitled, The Universalist Tradition Has Been Forgotten, The Enlightenment Betrayed. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia in 1955, the year Emmett Till was murdered in Mississippi. The number of Jews lynched by the Ku Klux Klan never approached the number of African-Americans, but the murder of Leo Frank was still in living memory, and most members of the city's small Jewish community lived in fear of attracting attention, particularly after the Reform Synagogue was bombed in 1958. This was clearly a warning from the Klan, Susan writes, for what distinguished the temple from the other two synagogues in Atlanta was that its rabbi, Jacob Rothschild, worked with Martin Luther King. Not only before he won the Nobel Peace Prize, but before it was acceptable for black and white people to dine together. Here's a chilling story. Our neighbors and fellow synagogue members invited the rabbi and his wife to dinner along with Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King. Unable to find their way, the Kings arrived late and apologized, explaining they had stopped at another house to ask for directions. But don't worry, said Coretta. We told them we were coming to serve at your dinner party. 
Had they said they were guests, they could have endangered their hosts. Rabbi Rothschild and a few members of his community, among them my mother, grounded the risks they took in the universalist Jewish tradition. Since we were slaves in Egypt, our place was with those who were slaves in Georgia. That was the Haggadah interpretation that reigned at our seders, so it was a shock to learn as a young adult that there was anything else on offer. Though an extraordinary number of white Jews were involved in the civil rights movement at a time when it could be dangerous, the number of Jews who were remembering Amalek began rising in the late 1960s. The Yom Kippur War in 1973 seemed to seal it. In every generation, someone or other rises up to destroy us. Susan's essay goes on to discuss how Jews draw different conclusions from Jewish suffering. Some lean universalist, some lean tribalist. A hundred days on since the 7th of October massacre, which sparked the Israel-Gaza war, how does she feel about that split on the Jewish left? It's getting harder and harder. I must say I'm personally discouraged. So when it first began uh, right after October 7th, um, I had to say, and I, you know, like, my daughter, who's <laughs> one of my daughters anyway, um, all my kids are grown, but more on the woke side of things than I am. I had to say it's awful, but it's not surprising. My, my, my daughter, by the way, I mean, she's also Israeli and she's also Jewish, but she lost friends from the sort of woke community who expected her to celebrate the massacre as an act of liberation. Um, so when that began to happen, and I, I know many, many people whom that's true of, I thought, you know, it's awful, but it's not really surprising. The woke are not left, okay? They have appealed to traditional left-wing emotions, wanting to be on the side of the uh, oppressed and um, wanting to try and right historical wrongs. But the emotions have been accompanied by some very reactionary theories. And so that's why I wrote my book, um, uh, Left is Not Woke. So in a, you know, I've, I've been saying that. And, and, and at the same time, I keep following the news, which is blaming this kind of reaction on the left. And I keep saying it's not left. The left itself has been betraying itself for a good five years uh, at at the very least, I've been talking myself, uh, you know, till I'm blue in the face a bit more in uh, Berlin where I live and have been in the media a lot, but also in English speaking contexts. And uh, what you what we seem to see, you know, a further undermining of the left from the from a Jewish point of view by making it seem as if, look, um, uh, the left, the the tribe, the woke tribe is all side of the oppressed again, and the most oppressed are Palestinians. And so if we don't wholeheartedly join that, uh, that camp, we have no political home. I want to know if Susan feels that there is a space for Jews and Israelis on the left if they don't have a particular position on Israel. Is it there? What kind of space is this? And is it shrinking? I have friends, I'm thinking of an Indian Jew, um, who uh, Indian Jewish historian who says um, he's only been to Israel once. Um, the country doesn't, you know, he, he rejects the claim 
that he's responsible in any sense for that country. Uh, and I know other, actually, yeah, I can think of a German Jew who says roughly the same thing. Um, I actually, both of them are friends of mine and, um, and do have positions, of course, on Israel. And I think it's bad faith to think that, um, that a Jew need have no position on Israel. Uh, Israel has a position on us, okay? The government's been claiming to speak for us forever. So I, you know, and I'm just, I'm leaving leaving aside the question of whether or not it's anti-Semitic for a non-Jew to expect that we're in some sense responsible for Israel. Once again, I think there's a fairly simple universalist position that I'm always surprised people can't take. It's not about being pro-Israel or pro-Palestine. It's about being pro-human rights and acknowledging that, you know, human rights are human rights and they're as applicable to um, to Palestinians as they are to Jews. I mean, the strange thing is, it wasn't that hard a position to maintain in uh, after 9-11, okay? It was perfectly possible to be horrified by al-Qaeda's um, strikes on civilians and yet to deeply uh, oppose uh, the wars against Afghanistan and Iraq. My guess is that at least half of you were out on the streets at the time. I mean, I certainly was and many, many other people were. So that was a possible position to hold. And really all I'm, I'm arguing for is that we get back to that. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. On the 11th and 12th of January, two days of public hearings were carried out at the International Court of Justice in The Hague to hear a case brought by South Africa, arguing that Israel had committed and was committing genocide against Palestinians in Gaza, as well as to hear Israel's defence. Bringing the case, South Africa, which has been highly critical of Israel's military operation in Gaza, drew parallels with South Africa's own historic struggle against apartheid. Was this a good moment for universalist values? Or was this another tribal moment to declare a binary right and wrong, a tribal position, without taking into account the human rights of everyone involved? I've got to say that I'm quite ambivalent about uh, what's been going on at the International Court of Justice. Um, yes, it does look like a universalist moment where human rights claims are being um, made by a majority of the countries in the world. There is a question about what South Africa's um, role in doing this is, uh, whether they're trying to deflect from what I gather, although I'm I'm only really moderately informed, um, 
very tribalist developments within South Africa itself at the moment, where white people and particularly Jews are being, um, you know, like the captain of the cricket team, who is a white Jew, is kicked off it. And um, but but even before that, um, there have been uh, a lot of signs of extremely. Uh, problematic tribalism in South Africa, although somebody just sent me a, a a text this morning, Mandela himself said, at least in 93, that he was very much a two states for two peoples and believed a uh, man and believed in the right of uh, Israelis to a homeland as well as the Palestinians. But that is not what one hears at the moment at all from South Africa. The other thing that worries Susan is that this is confirming a right-wing Israeli narrative that the world is always against us, that we're standing alone. The Masada view of what it means to be a Jew. And so I'm I'm skeptical that it's going to have any any good results. I'm not feeling very hopeful at the moment, even though I I standardly say hope is not an emotion, it's a moral obligation. So I hang on to it as a moral obligation. But what I'm looking at, both as regards Israel, Palestine, and many other places in the world, uh, it's very hard to see, you know, to offer any, any paths forward right now. But I know I'm not alone in that feeling, so... The session, which took place immediately before I spoke with Susan, asked, is there a future for the two-state solution? One of the speakers was Gavri Barguil, one of the co-founders of Peace Now, a leading NGO, liberal advocacy and activist group in Israel, which has the aim of promoting a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Barguil described himself as a proud Israeli leftist and spoke about the role of the Israeli left in managing to achieve a two-state solution. Does Susan think the Israeli left can have a role putting forward a vision for something that will end the conflict in the long term? There are grassroots groups who are keeping doing what they're doing, and I think it's important to highlight them even if the numbers aren't great, just because, you know, anybody that can keep, um, you know, Israeli-Palestinian coalitions going, no matter how small they are, whether it's Tayush or Parent circle or what's Yachad, I think, is another one. Anybody who can keep that going at this moment deserves our support and um, deserves to be also highlighted so that people know that that's actually possible. I think the question is really more what Jews in the diaspora can do for the Israeli left. One of the reasons I made Aliyah in 1994 was reading um, um, uh piece by uh, Shlomo Avenari, uh, who just passed, um, who said if, uh, you know, if diaspora Jews are really concerned about things in, uh, in Israel, this is a small country. If a thousand left-wing Jewish intellectuals made Aliyah, we would be, we would be helped. Aliyah is the Hebrew term for Jews from the diaspora emigrating to what is now Israel. The word literally means going up. There is a term in Hebrew for Jewish emigration from Israel, Yerida, or going down. Uh, I don't know anybody who's talking about doing that at the moment, and I certainly wouldn't. But the question is whether Jews on the left abroad can organize and speak up in ways 
that, um, you know, strengthen, well, strengthen the Israeli left and also um, get rid of this claim that's really bothering me. I won't mention names, but a very good friend of mine is, you know, is just on about the left has betrayed us. The left has betrayed us rather than saying, look, this is a segment that thinks it's left and isn't really. If enough of us could do that, I think it would help the Israelis because people who I know who used to be extraordinarily critical of uh, of the government and for years and years and years are moving back into this Masada position. Everybody hates us. We're all alone in the world. So I think it's important. And I gather, I haven't been in London, but I know um, a number of people, including my own son, who have been um, at demonstrations where I gather, he said, there are thousands of Jews marching against the war. And, you know, he said in five hours, he didn't hear a single anti-Semitic slogan. Um, you all would know better than I I do. But um, that's the kind of thing that um, I think is really important. What was clear in our discussion was that, a hundred days on from the war starting, Jews on the left are still in a fraught position. Of course, that split goes wider than Jews across the left. Hamas's massacre on October 7th and the ensuing war have divided progressives more generally. In the meantime, the war continues, as does the debate over whether the left, shaped by post-colonial theory, is at odds with the principles of universalism. To read Susan Nyman's original essay for The New Statesman, please follow the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Statesman podcast. I'm Alona Ferber. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.